Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today's guest is Tantric Vinyasa yoga teacher and co-founder of Tejas Yoga Studio, Jim Bennett. Thank you for generously spending time with us today on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> so can you tell us how you got started with yoga? What's been your relationship with it? Sure. You know, when I was my mid-20s, I was kind of sick of feeling beaten up all the time. I was really into wrestling from a pretty somewhat early age. I think I was in sixth grade when I first started. And I really stuck with that throughout uh, junior high, high school, and even into college. But when I got to my mid-20s, I was feeling beaten up all the time. And at the same time, I was beginning to learn about, you know, back then in the mid-90s or early 90s, we called it alternative health. Of course, it didn't take me long to fall upon some readings on yoga. So I read, I read a little bit about Ayurveda, too. Um, I, I actually started studying both of those at the same time, yoga and Ayurveda. And um, I had, I had, so I had this back pain along, to go along with all this. And mm-hmm. I've got, I had a friend who I used to wrestle with who at the time was going through physical therapy school. And he did some tests on me, just some kind of mobility and flexibility test. And he was, you know, he was surprised. He said, you know, you really have pretty bad mobility in some areas, some bad flexibility in some areas, uh, especially for our age. So I think you need to, t- you know, take care of this. Otherwise, as you get older, you're going to have a lot of back pain. So hearing that, look, and again, looking, being tired of what I was doing already to keep myself in shape, I was looking for another way to um, exercise and keep myself healthy, but in more of a holistic way. I decided to go check out this yoga thing. And, you know, at the time I was, again, in my mid-20s, I had a job at the Chicago Board of Trade, which was kind of a high-stress, wild job. So, you know, as most mid-20-year-olds who are, especially in that environment, do on weekends, they would go out, you know, drinking a lot on Friday nights. And this class I wanted to go to happened to be on a Saturday morning. So I purposely made it a point to not go out with my friends Friday night, woke up early Saturday morning, Went to this yoga class, and it was just an intro to yoga course, you know, like most yoga studios have these days, uh, where we were began at the, at the extreme basics. And um, even though I, I felt like I was already a really in-shape kind of guy and did a lot of exercise, I remember in that class um, just finding a lot of weaknesses in certain areas, a lot of limitations, obviously, with mobility in certain areas. It was challenging in a different kind of way. And most importantly, when I left, I felt like a million bucks. Um, okay. And it, it carried over to not just feeling strong and good physically, but also it had something, you know, I, I could tell I had some kind of mental clarity that I didn't have before. But of course, you know, we all have habits. So it, after the, the month-long course ended, I didn't go back for a while because, you know, it wasn't a habit yet. So... Yeah, for the first three years of my yoga exploration and journey, it was kind of like that. I was very off and on. I always enjoyed it. I always went to, you know, I would go to different studios and different classes and always reading a little bit here and there about it. 
Um, but it didn't stick until three years into it, about that, that mark, I found um, so, some teachers and a student that I really connected with. I want to explore that idea a little bit more because I think that surprises people that, you know, you and I both being teachers, we hear stories from people saying, I'm not good at yoga. I tried a mm -hmm. class and I didn't like it. It's not for me. I can't do it. Your story really highlights the fact that three years, that's a decent amount of time, yeah. but you stuck with it. Even though it was on and off, you were taking baby steps in order to find the correct fit. That's true. That is true. Like everything else, I think you need to, um, yeah, you need to do that. You need to find the correct fit. After that three-year mark, when I started practicing every day for hours every day, um, I would hear oftentimes from some people, boy, you're lucky yoga comes so, so easily for you. It, it didn't come easily until I started doing it every day for two hours a day. <laughs> then, it became <laughs> because, then it became easy. <laughs> right, because there's no such thing as perfect. Things get easier for you when you work really hard at them, I think. Absolutely. Is when did you start teaching? I began teaching in 2002. Why did you make the decision to teach? At first, I didn't want to teach. I am one of those people that, especially back then, I feared speaking in front of people or speaking in public more than death. Just before I began teaching, I was there so much at the, at the yoga studio, and I was practicing so much, and the, the owner started saying, you know, Jim, maybe you should start teaching. And I'm like, no way. But I agreed to teach one class a week. After taking on that one class once a week, I just started getting offers to have more classes. Well, two things. I think maybe part of the attraction is the fact that you're a man. We don't have so many role models who are inspiring to other men to practice. Mm, that's a good point. And secondly, it's really funny you mentioned how you started teaching because I was doing a practice today with a teacher online and she was very verbose and it was really irritating to me. I have to be honest. What does verbose and mean? This is why I like your classes so oh, very okay. much and I follow you online and you're one of my favorite teachers online. I don't want to hear a lot of talking, but you're very welcome. Mm -hmm. This speaks again to what we were talking about in the beginning, where you have to find what works for you. I don't want to hear about the sun and the moon. <laughs> to be talking so much during the class, to me, is very distracting, and it takes me out of what I'm doing. Now, we need instruction. You're able to give clear, concise instructions, a little bit of encouragement, mm -hmm. and that's it. Space. To be able yeah. to explore the pose on my own and to have my own, to reckon with my own thoughts and my own insecurities and not to be distracted in a pose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. you know, um, that's going to, this boy fits right into sort of the topic of our conversation here, uh, you know, the meditation aspect of yoga. I recently been asked to write an article on exactly what you just spoke about, about the importance of silence in a yoga practice. I couldn't have said it better than what you, the way you just did. I think that a little instruction is definitely good. A little encouragement is good. But I, I think the yoga happens in moments of stillness and silence. I, I think it's the job of a teacher to guide students a little bit along a path that they may have a little more experience on. But ultimately, 
help them discover the teacher within. And I think if, mm-hmm. if there's constant distraction, even a voice talking, it's a lot harder to hear that guidance from within. And so how can you become the observer during a yoga pose when it's really hard and you don't want to hold it and when you don't feel like a rock star because you're not striking your favorite pose? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Why don't we go into meditation? What yeah. is it? I feel that meditation is not separate than yoga. Seated meditation, I believe, is necessary for yoga. Meditation to me is very much, very similar to the definition of what Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras, the way he defines yoga. You take a seat, times when you can't sit, you might lay down, but best when you take a seat, you sit tall with the crown of your head directly over the base of the spine, you draw your awareness inward, Oftentimes, with starting with some observation of the breath, focus your attention on something. It could be, it's, to some people, it's a mantra. To some people, it's a prayer. To some people, it's a visualization. To some people, it's a sensation within the body. There's many, many different things that you can direct your attention, making the mind one-pointed for a long period of time. Until you built up the discipline to just become the observer, as I think you said earlier. It's a process where you are really going beyond your identification with your body and even your thoughts to a, to a deeper aspect of yourself, whether you call it your spirit or soul or a number of Sanskrit words. What would you say to someone who's extremely hesitant to establish a yoga and meditation practice because of uh, religious constraints. Mm-hmm. Raja yoga, that's yoga of meditation, can be helpful if or if you do not have any kind of religious affiliation. I think, mm-hmm. so let's say, you, like as you, in the question, you said someone who has a religious affiliation, making your mind focused, more one-pointed, and to quiet the mind of all the chatter can help you to pray better. No matter what religion you're affiliated with, this can help you to go deeper into your religion, to be a better Christian, better Muslim, better Buddhist. It does not need to be affiliated with what a lot of people would affiliate with as Hinduism. I'm not Hindu. What are the specific mental and physical benefits of a meditation practice? These days, we, it's so easy to find Western research done by major universities like Harvard, mm-hmm. and University, of, University of Wisconsin in Madison, mm-hmm. like concrete scientific, Western scientific evidence of the benefits of meditation. Of course, the listeners can always go Google that in a second and find like real research. The physical benefits are almost immediate. It's pretty easy to find tension in your body that you didn't know you had before. Someplace in your body is gripping, holding on that you didn't w- necessarily want to happen, and but it's happening. The biggest benefit, period, is I become more aware of the content of my mind. There are really mental kind of mental patterns that we've developed that were oftentimes our, our subconscious. We don't know that we've developed them, and they really predict pre- decisions that we make throughout our whole day. 
I think that through my meditation practice and becoming more aware of the content of my mind and these mental patterns and the self-doubt I have or insecurities I have or a number of different thought patterns, I believe that throughout the day I make better decisions. I make better split-second decisions because mm-hmm. I have that fraction of a second to realize no, it's not a good idea to yell at that person. They didn't know mm-hmm. that I was in this mm-hmm. situation. Or it's not a good idea to turn left. In addition to that, I'm able to identify some of these patterns that you know that can get me in trouble, that don't get me to the place I really want to go in life. And the ability to, as you were saying earlier, when you know when thoughts come up in a yoga in a different pose, a question like why having these self doubts or why is this happening mm-hmm. in takes practice but once you begin to identify these things you're able to go into deep self-inquiry about who you really are and Mm -hmm. what's what's at your essence we have a common um, experience we're both martial artists mine is taekwondo and yours is jujitsu correct yeah correct correct i was meditating even before i knew it through movement yeah yeah And so uh, my question to you would be, are there other ways that a person may be surprised that it just doesn't necessarily have to be in a seated position or lying down? Are there ways where movement can be meditation as well? Have you noticed that in your martial arts practice? I, I understand when people make that analogy. I've got a friend who is really into cycling and he says, you know, cycling's my meditation. Early on in jiu-jitsu, because I've only been practicing that for about seven years now. You know, after, after I stopped wrestling, for a good 12 years, I did nothing but yoga. Mm-hmm. I Only for physical uh, discipline and practice, I only did yoga. Um, I, only read about, I only read yoga books. I had yoga friends. Like, I completely dove into yoga for a good 12 years. Um, after that, I started missing some of the other things that I did. So I, st- I did end up going back to something similar to wrestling, um, jiu-jitsu. It's a grappling martial art. And anyway, early on in my jiu-jitsu career, I, I was sparring, or they call it rolling in jiu-jitsu, with our instructor. I was very new. He's very experienced. So, you know, you get a little panicked. He said, breathe through your nose. Stop breathing through your mouth. Breathe through your nose. And he, he realized that like, I was becoming panicked. And then after he said that to me, I watched him, and he almost always is breathing through his nose. And he would know moments that he can be very still and just slow everything down and wait for the opponent to make a mistake. So anyway, there's definitely a meditative energy-controlling aspect that makes a jiu-jitsu practitioner better. You'll mm-hmm. see it in the real good ones. They know when to do that. And they, they really slow everything down in those times to conserve energy. And, and oftentimes with a less experienced opponent, watch them waste their energy. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? The traditional way to meditate in yoga, this idea of taking a seat, being really still, and importantly, drawing your senses inward. It's called, you know, it's called pratyahara. Pratyahara is considered the bridge between the external and internal practice of yoga. So, and, and if, if you're doing these other activities, you, it's, you can do it a little bit, but if you're cycling, you still got to watch what's on the road. If you're 
with a martial arts partner, you still got to watch out what's coming your way, you know, as far as a, a strike or a, a, a submission hold. There's another level to seated meditation as, as done in yoga, traditionally done in yoga anyway, that kind of takes it to another level. Fair um, enough. So they're Taekwondo forms, and they're not okay. done with a partner. It felt to me like a gateway to being able to appreciate meditation and yeah. being still. In practicing my Taekwondo forms, I think I was gaining that acceptance and yeah. ability to then be able to sit. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think that there's a number of ways to get into that stillness and you mm -hmm. know yoga yoga postures and movements are one way the original yoga for the most part 2000 years ago was seated meditation about mm -hmm. a thousand years after that some yogis that were seen as very radical yogis unorthodox yogis they began to experiment by doing some movements first do putting their body in different shapes first doing some breathing techniques first to get themselves to be in that seated posture and get to a meditative state quicker. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think there's a number of ways to get into that seated meditation in a good way. I think a, for a lot of people, especially in our overstimulated society that we live mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. for a, or culture, for a lot of people, I think going back and forth between something intense like going through your forms and then going into some kind of some kind of seated or some kind of still posture, even for a moment, can kind of do the trick. An element of stillness, even if it's for a minute, is pretty important. So how would you counsel a beginner in establishing a new meditation practice? A special time of day or place? Mm -hmm. Early in the morning is the best time because it gets done then. I think if hmm. you wait until later in the day, man, things pop up. If for whatever reason you can't do it, then you find a time later in the day to do it. It's always good. It's good to have a certain area in your home that you can kind of designate as the place where you meditate. The least amount of distraction as possible. Paying attention to your breath once you establish that seat wherever you are is going to be super helpful. And that might be all you do is pay attention to your breath for five minutes. That, that in itself, for someone new to meditation, is going to be very challenging. I want to help spread the word that uh, for a long time, yoga was meditation. Yoga was seated meditation. What would make me really happy is if more and more people did include the, med the meditation aspect of yoga. Mm -hmm. It's good to incorporate what we've learned physically and anatomically into a yoga practice, but let's also keep some of the things that are really good about yoga, even going back, you know, thousands of years to the meditation aspect. Little devil's advocate here. There are people who are intimidated by the idea of meditation because let's face it, it's not easy. It's, it's not, not easy. easy by any means, by any means. And you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said it's our reactive society. We're always on the go, and it's difficult for us to give ourselves permission to sit still and to pay attention and to be quiet, especially focusing on the breath. To encourage someone who might be intimidated, 
to meditate, at least starting with a yoga class first, and then maybe allowing yourself time and permission to be able to to evolve into the idea of establishing a meditation practice is still better than nothing. Meditation in general is, is very difficult. That's why, you know, they call it a practice. It takes practice mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, sit for, sit for a couple minutes, no big deal. Sit for 20 minutes, eh, it'll get pretty interesting. We'll see how, <laughs> you know, the, all of a sudden you remember a lot of things that you're supposed to be doing right now, you know. It takes mm. practice. But one thing that we do tell our the, the training, teachers who are training is that, you know, we realize it's, it's very difficult for many people to do this. And for those people, especially if they're newer to yoga or if they don't express any interest in a seated meditation practice, if throughout a, a nicely paced and intelligent sequence of yoga postures, if nothing else, if you get the students into corpse pose, shavasana, the you know, final relaxation, mm-hmm. if you get them into a really good corpse pose for a couple minutes, and they're able to completely let go, that's a huge first step. Thank you for that. My final question for you is, what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? I think it's all about finding balance. Finding balance with being disciplined in some ways, but having fun in some ways. Eating a good diet, but once in a while going out and, and, and having, you know, eating things that just taste good and just being with friends. Um, getting good amounts of sleep, getting the best certain hours, but still once in a while you go out with your friends at nighttime. You know, I think it's how about balance. Well, again, I thank you so very much for your time and expertise and experiences today. Fantastic. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. All right. Practical tips, mind, body, and spirit tip. Always be willing to learn and remain humble. No one knows everything, and sometimes, if you think you understand something, it takes the right teacher to come along to provide the clarity you seek. Thank you, Jim, for reminding me about the true meaning of meditation. More on this in the Mindful Minute. Thanks for being here. See you next time.